Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. My name is Mike Petriello, a writer and researcher at MLB.com, not joined today by Matt Myers, who's off on vacation and therefore missing most of one of the most impressive winning streaks in baseball history. We're going to talk about the Rays today, who just won their 13th straight game, and I'm going to talk about them for a little bit, and then I'm going to be joined directly from the ballpark because he was just there to watch win number 13, Adam Berry, who is MLB.com's Rays beat writer because I have so many questions for him. And then after that, we are going to get into a guy you should know more about. I really, really wanted to make that guy Franchi Cordero because as longtime listeners of this show know, you can probably find me talking about him from like five years ago, but I felt like I had to wait for Matt, right? I couldn't talk about Luis Perdomo without Matt. I cannot talk about Franchi without Matt. Before we welcome on Adam to talk about what the Rays are doing, the the stats and figures about this 13 to nothing start are just so wild that even though I'm going to say some of them, I almost don't believe them. And a lot of these came from a friend and podcast hosting colleague, Sarah Langs. So a lot of credit to her. Uh, they are 13 and nothing. The best start to a season in Major League history is the 1884 St. Louis Maroons, who went 20 and 0. And I have to say, they barely count. I understand they are part of recognized Major League history. Do you know what baseball was like in 1884? This is from the Elias Sports Bureau. In 1884, it took six balls for a walk. Overhand pitching had just been legalized. The pitcher's mound was still a decade away. And the front of the pitching box that had it was only 50 feet from home plate. So is that Major League Baseball? Sure, I guess. 13-0 ties the modern record, uh, to start a season anyway, of the 1987 Brewers and 1982 Braves, both of whom definitely went on to win the World Series no follow-up questions. The Rays at this moment have outscored their opponents by 71 runs. That's 100 and run, 101 runs for only 30 against. They have, and I, I got to remind you, all of these stats sound made up because they're so stupid. They're actually all real. This is maybe my favorite one. The Rays have hit 32 home runs so far this year. They have only allowed 30 runs. Think about that for a second. As you'd imagine, if you're going to be this good at baseball, you're going to be good at everything, all the ways. So, for example, the Rays as hitters have the second lowest strikeout rate, the second best hard hit rate, and they're leading in slugging by like 80 points over the Dodgers. The pitching has the highest ground ball rate and the second lowest hard hit rate and the best first pitch strike rate, and they're tied for the second lowest walk rate, and they have the third best strikeout rate, and even the defense is showing up. They are tied for fourth best in outs above average. Now, I know the elephant in the room, and I'm going to actually ask Adam about this because you have to. 
They haven't played anybody, right? They've played the Tigers, played the A's, played the Nationals. They've played the Red Sox, and three of those four were at home. And honestly, I think I'm even lower on these opponents than most because a lot of people will say, hey, three non-competitive teams in the Red Sox. I've been saying for months this Red Sox team will not be any good. I'm going to put this at four non-competitive teams. And then after they play the Blue Jays, they have to go play the Reds, who are they in the same category as the Nationals? I'm not so sure. But either way, even if they haven't played anybody particularly difficult, they still won 13 games to start the season. It's unbelievable. Even if they went only 500 for the rest of the season, which I don't think anybody expects they will, that would still be an 87 and 75 season. They are almost certainly going to win more than 90 games. How many are they going to get to? I'm not sure, but I can't wait to ask Adam Barry about it. We'll be right back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast with Mike Petrello, and I am joined directly from the TROP by Adam Barry, MLB.com's Rays reporter. Adam, before I get into a question about the Rays, how much do you need to know about the 1884 St. Louis Maroons? Did you think you need to know that before this like previous week? Yeah, I wish somebody had given me a book or at least a pamphlet to do some uh, preseason reading <laughs> so I would be well-informed with the team that I'm going to reference the second most uh, besides just the team that I cover, which is the Rays. So yeah, I'm very well informed now. Yeah, here's the thing. Like, I find myself as a, as a professional podcast host, right? It's incumbent upon me to ask interesting and engaging questions to elicit knowledgeable answers from answers experts like yourself. And all I can think of is, what the hell? <laughs> What's yeah. happening here? Yeah, what I is think this? That's a, that that's a fair question. Um, I think we all knew the Rays were going to be good coming into the season. I don't think anybody thought they were going to be this good or look this good for any extended stretch. And I don't necessarily think, uh, you know, we all had the St. Louis Maroons and the New York Gothams and the 87 Brewers and the 82 Braves on our uh, comparison list for this team. So it's really just been a confluence of pretty much everything that can go right going right for this team, which maybe they were due some good luck after all the injuries and stuff they've had over the last couple of years because – I mean, this is what this team can do when they're healthy is, you know, hit the ball as well as they have one through nine pitch like they have and, you know, play their usual brand of defense. So pretty much everything's going right, which is unusual. Well, since you said everything was going right, I guess I have to ask about the one thing that seems like it didn't. Uh, Jeffrey Springs, who's a breakout star for them, left today with some kind of arm injury. Did you get any postgame update on how serious that might be? Yeah, it's a nerve issue, it sounds like, an ulnar nerve. Um, he felt it kind of like a zinger or a funny bone issue uh, while he was pitching. In the fourth inning, uh, he said he's never dealt with anything like it before. He's going to go uh, undergo testing on Friday, get some imaging done, and is hoping to have a little bit more clarity uh, about what the future holds for him then. Manager Kevin Cash kind of said it was likely that he'll wind up on the injured list, which you would expect after a guy walks off the mound like that, uh, which is really brutal news for a guy who, like you said, was looking like a, a total breakout star if he didn't really break out last season when he was so good after the Rays moved him into the rotation. Um, so we'll probably find out more uh, in Toronto tomorrow. 
I know it's kind of a, a foolish question after like two weeks of baseball to ask what's real and what's not real. But from my point of view, it's not really surprising to see Wander Franco being great. It's not really surprising to see a healthy uh, Brandon Lau being great. I'm a little surprised that Randy Rosarena seems to have found like a new level because I guess for the last couple of years outside of these amazing big moment events, he's kind of settled into this like three war-ish players, a little flawed on the bases and on defense. And so far this year, he just looks like a totally different guy. Yeah, and that flawed player is kind of super inconsistent offensively. He would have great months and then he would have terrible months where he just disappeared for you know entire weeks and games at a time, basically. So I think what you've seen that probably could lead you to believe that this is real, that he is kind of reaching that other level, is that, and this sounds silly, this spring he basically committed to preparing a little bit more. He committed to scouting reports. He committed to looking into the data. Uh, and I think that does speak to a little bit of added maturity for a guy who had probably coasted by on talent to a certain extent at this point, who really locked it in for those big mom- moments, like you mentioned, the 2020 playoffs, the World Baseball Classic we all just saw. Um, and he just kind of said, I want to do everything I can to get the most out of my talent. And the Rays are really seeing that. They're really impressed with the maturity he's shown and the, the decision-making. Uh, like you said, last year it was not good on the bases. He ran into a ton of outs, swung at a lot of pitches that he shouldn't have. And he was not like he was openly not really looking into scouting reports. He would ask the hitting coach or the manager, or whoever, what's this guy's fastball? That's all he needed to know before he went up for a plate appearance. He even told us at one point last year he didn't know other pitchers' names. He knew his fellow Cubans <laughs> and he knew Garrett Cole, and that was it. And that was fine with him. You know, he got by. He was a perfectly fine player. But I think he wants to be that next level star. He wants to be, you know, somebody who is associated with the faces of baseball. And I think he's he's off to a pretty good start in that regard. Uh, with the preparation that he's shown and the performance that he's had. Man, I'm not sure if I'm more impressed by the hard work he's putting in and, and that it's paying off or that he was that good doing none of that in the past. Cause yeah, that's you're getting by on, on talent alone. Yeah. Um, and he has a ton of talent, obviously. So, I mean, it really does make you excited to see what he could do. The other guy who has long been a favorite of mine, as I think, you know, who seems to be doing something a little different is Yandy Diaz. I can't tell you how many years I've been waiting for him to just get the ball up like a little bit. And again, it's two weeks. Like I'm not getting sucked into this. Should I get sucked into this? Because he seems to be hitting rockets now, like elevated rockets. A little bit. So I think what you're seeing is a little bit more of a calculated approach by Yandi. I actually talked to some people about this earlier today, is that when he gets ahead in counts, he's being a little bit more willing to take a big swing, to just kind of unload on a 2-0 pitch. Because he does obviously have the muscle. He obviously has the strength and the power to hit to drive a ball. And the exit velocities all show that. He's just got to kind of be willing to do it to get out of his approach a little bit because he is so disciplined. He's one of those classic guys who, like, you should let him call his own balls and strikes. Like, he knows the zone. Uh, He wants to work his way on base with a walk. But the Rays have seen that power. They've encouraged him to elevate the ball to, you know, take some more aggressive swings. And I think he's finally started to buy into that a little bit and understanding the right situations when it is a good time to kind of take that chance, take that swing. It really seems to be working out for him so far. I mean, you've seen him take. A uh, 2-0, big swing, swing and miss. And the Rays are kind of like, great. That's that's what we want to see. We want to see big swings in those situations because worst case scenario, you swing and miss, onto the next pitch, get back to your approach, find a way on base. But when he has those opportunities, it seems like he's being more aggressive and it's really working out for him. The, the one thing I keep noticing about this team is like, you know, obviously you got the big names like Bronco, I said, but there's some under the radar guys who popped up a little bit last year who now seem like they might actually be dudes. And uh, Howard Ramirez, Isak Paredes, and now apparently Luke Rayleigh, like for real. Uh, I'm sorry, Nuke Reiki, as the, the Twitter guys keep telling me. Are you 
I'm not going to say, are you buying all three of those guys to be all-stars? I know that's a ridiculous thing. Which one of those three do you say uh, you have the most optimism about? Ooh, that's a tough one. I really like uh, Harold Ramirez in kind of the same way uh, same way that I like what Yandy does at the plate, that he's willing to take a big swing uh, you know, when the opportunity presents itself, but he also will shorten up and get a two-strike approach and try to get the barrel on the ball, which fits really well into this Rays lineup that does have some bigger swingers and Brandon Lau and Randy Rosarena and Josh Lowe and guys like that. Um, and I think Harold probably is capable of doing what he did last season as well, which is maybe just a little bit more power. Isak Paredes is a guy that I do feel like is due for kind of a breakout where we're all going to be like, oh, look at this guy. This is the Rays' next, you know, uh, project star, I guess, because, you know, he came over in that Austin Meadows trade. It was clear the Rays liked him from the beginning. And the guy that he was in the minors as a hitter didn't necessarily line up with the 20 homer guy that we saw last season because he hit, what was it, 204, 305 on base percentage. And this was a guy who got on base, made contact, would walk about as much as he struck out in the minors. So, I think if you start to combine kind of that pull side power that he showed last season with a little bit more discipline, a little bit more bat to ball that he's showing right now, you're going to have yourself a really impressive uh, corner infielder there. Do you think everybody around the locker room thinks that uh, Kevin Kiermeyer was holding them back all these years? As soon as he leaves, they never lose again. <laughs> you know, I don't think that, but I'm sure he will probably hear about that when they get to Toronto on Friday. Uh, they, they've found their way without him. Jose Siri, another guy who looks like kind of a possible breakout before that injury. He's looked great in the outfield, man. He covers a lot of ground. Another guy who took kind of a more mature approach heading into this season when Kevin Cash told him, like, hey, you're our center fielder. He really committed to, to the work that he did in spring training, and you started to see a little bit more of his uh, offensive potential start to show in that first week of the season. So there's a lot of guys, really, that could break out this year. You are an impartial observer, or at least you're uh, expected to be, and I know nobody around the Rays wants to talk about the fact that they haven't really played anybody that good. Um and I know you don't win this many games by accident, but you've seen a lot of bad baseball on the other side, haven't you? Like even the Red Sox aren't going to be very good this year. Yeah, they've played some tough opponents. I mean, those you're probably looking at three last, four, probably four, four last four. place teams, I'm right? Saying four. Four. I think that I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, yeah, from the Tigers to the National to the A's to the Red Sox, and the Red Sox obviously have like some very good hitters and some pretty good starting pitchers as well. So, I mean, this, and you saw them, they, they dared to play a couple of close games. Not all their wins were by four plus runs this series, which was a real test for them. Uh, but I think the thing that stands out to me though, is that it's still not easy to beat those teams. Like those teams have won games this year and the Rays have beaten them by, they're beating their opponents by a combined, what, 71 runs. That's really hard to do. And I think that run differential speaks as much to the talent and the way that things are going as anything, because you know, it would be easy to say, like, oh, they haven't beaten anybody. But even then, it good, bad teams beat good teams all the time in this game. Like, that doesn't necessarily take away from what they've done. It's reason that, you know, they're not going to win 128 games or whatever. But, I mean, you still have to be impressed by what they've done because they have beat these teams pretty soundly. I hesitate to say that anything could possibly get better because from where they're standing, it couldn't. Uh, but Tyler Glasnow is on the way back. Uh, how... Assuming everything goes well in this rehab, how much do you think they expect to get out of him for the remainder of the year? Because he's obviously been through a lot. Yeah, I, I think the idea is actually that since they're probably looking at him coming back now in like mid to late May, they shouldn't have to put any restraints on him once he is back. Because, I mean, had he started the season on opening day and gone wire to wire, like they were going to have to cut some starts short. They were going to have to skip him, you know, use him as an opener or whatever at some point. Uh, but at this rate, given the time frame where he's likely to return, they should be able to kind of just let the reins loose and see if he can stay healthy because... I mean, when he's healthy, he's as electric and as dominant as any arm in baseball, basically. So I, I think they're really excited about the one-two punch of him and Shane McClanahan atop the rotation. 
with the one-two punch of Drew Rasmussen and Jeffrey Springs behind them as well. And Zach Eflin is a pretty good starting uh, fifth starter, I guess you would say, at that point. Uh, yeah, I, I think the idea basically, though, is to get him healthy, get him stretched back out, and have him ready to go in the playoffs. Because, I mean, that is one area where this team has struggled in the last couple of years is in 2021, they really had the lineup in place that could have taken them through October, but their pitching was so banged up. Last season, they had the pitching lined up that could have really taken them on a deep run, and their lineup was banged up and ineffective. So I think the goal is basically to just get hot and healthy at the right time come October, and Tyler Glasnow is going to have to be a big part of that. So I think that's kind of the focus when he does come back. Yeah, the Rays just having a rotation after the last five or so years, that that is the outlier here. You know, it's not just like two guys and we fill in the blanks. And kind of to that end, uh, Taj Bradley made his debut the other day, and you know, went pretty well. I know they sent him back down, but I guess the expectation is you're going to see a lot more of him later on in the year. Yeah, I think he's probably a guy that they want to see maybe in the summer a little bit later if they need him. Again, like you talk about those names in the rotation, like there might not he might be getting spot start work later in the year just because there's not room for him. But you certainly saw the talent. I mean, the fastball's really good, the cutter's really good. And then out of nowhere, his fourth pitch, which was his curveball, looked like a really effective offering and finished three strikeouts for him in his major league debut. Like he kind of joked that his big league debut was a very good development day for him. Like that's that's insane and it speaks to his potential because um, there's a lot to like there. But I know the Rays want to kind of have him work on that curveball, work on his changeup, and just overall strike throwing kind of raise his floor a little bit so that when he comes back up, he's not, you know, a questionable bottom of the rotation type guy, but somebody approaching more of his potential as a, a frontline arm. So where is the hole on this team? Like if there is a weakness they will need to address, like what is it going to be? I think you always have to wonder about, you know, bullpens. There's just some of the workloads that those guys have had, some of the injury history out there. They've looked great so far. I mean, pretty much everyone who's run out there has been effective. Um, I still do want to see what they get out of those left-handed bats, Josh Lowe and Luke Rayleigh. Uh, that was one big area that they did not address this offseason. Um, you know, the front office basically came out and said, after the season ended last year, we would like to add a veteran left-handed bat. They didn't, and they've been fortunate so far that Lowe and Rayleigh have played really well and kind of, you know, uh, washed over their obvious need for that area. So I would be curious to see if those two hold up come trade deadline season, is that somewhere they can look to add, lengthen the lineup a little bit? And then, I mean, obviously we're going to have to be mindful of injuries at this point because you've already seen Siri go down, Springs is down. You know, is that an area where the Rays will be aggressive uh, if they're atop the division at that point to fill a hole? Because, you know, we've seen them when they're in position for a wild card kind of sit back and come what may. But when they're in the, you know, when they're in the driver's seat, you saw the Nelson Cruz trade for Joe Ryan a couple of years ago. They're willing to take a big swing. So, I'm not necessarily sure I see a flaw in the roster right now, but that's when they're 13-0. We'll see what happens a month from now. I was going to say maybe catcher because Mejia and Betancourt haven't really hit. They don't really hit that much. But are they are they happy enough with the defense to kind of look past that? For sure, yeah. And Betancourt especially has been awesome defensively, uh, especially given the expectations when he came over in a very random trade with Oakland last year, like as a first baseman slash DH, and then all of a sudden they put him back behind the behind the plate, and he was great. I mean, I mentioned the Todd Bradley thing earlier with his curveball. That was all at Bethancourt's urging. He basically said, this pitch looks good right now. You've got good control of it. Let's go to it. And we all know that the Rays value defense behind the plate as much as anything. So I think if they can keep getting that from him, he's got a cannon of an arm, which really helps with the new rules and in, in effect and everything like that. So uh, I think that could be an area where they look to upgrade. They were in on Sean Murphy in the offseason like everybody else. Um, you know, it would have to be a real upgrade over what they have at this position right now. Uh, anybody in the minors that you expect to make an impact on the team this year who hasn't been up yet? Well, Taj Bradley crossed one off the list, so that's <laughs> a good go. one. Um, Curtis Mead, uh, corner infielder, maybe second base. He's just done nothing but hit uh, throughout his time in the minor leagues. I could see him potentially if there's a need at first or third or 
you know, in a DH type role. The one guy that I really got my eye on who was awesome in spring training, really impressed them, is Kyle Manzardo, who's a first baseman. Um, they started him at, at AAA to begin the year, which is a pretty aggressive promotion for a guy who was drafted two years ago. Um, so I, I think they really liked what they saw from him in spring training. You know, if there's a need for a left-handed bat at first base, that's that's definitely a guy to keep an eye on. Adam, I am personally happy for you because I believe when you first started being a beat writer with the Pirates, it was like right after the Pirates were any good. So you went through a lot of, let's say, uh, under-the-radar baseball in Pittsburgh, and now here you are watching the most dominant team uh, in baseball. I am personally happy that you get to be there at the trough witnessing this. Yeah, it's just like covering the St. Louis Maroons back in the day, I'm sure. <laughs> Something like that. Adam Barry of MLB.com, thanks so much. Thank you. We'll be right back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Our thanks to Adam Barry. Now, as I said, I wasn't sure I was going to do a guy you should know more about this week, but after we brought it back to start the season last week, I actually had a couple of people on Twitter say, yes, I love that segment. Thanks for bringing it back. And I thank you for saying that you liked it. I thought about going with a Ray this week just to kind of lean into the let's talk about the Rays for an entire podcast. But you know what? I just thought that was too much. And there's another guy who's been really interesting to me. My guy this week that you have to know a little bit more about is Kansas City starting pitcher Chris Buick. And here's why. He has a 164 ERA in his first two starts, 13 strikeouts and one walks, one walk. And you might say, great, two starts, whatever. This guy, and I, I don't mean to be impolite here, was terrible last year. He had a 558 ERA in 129 innings last year. He had a 381 on base percentage allowed, which was the highest among any pitcher through as much as he did. He had a 489 career ERA. And all of a sudden, he's out here looking like an entirely new pitcher. And he's only 25. And his improvements, uh, when I get to them in a second, are going to kind of go to some optimism that I think I have about the Royals. When you look at how he's changed, his fastball is up, right? 91.9 to 93.2. That's a good start. But he's throwing it higher, 2.7 feet off the ground to 3.2. And most importantly, he's throwing it less. He's down from 50% usage to 40% usage. Why? Because Chris Bubik has a new slider. He's thrown it 16 times, four strikeouts, and zero hits. He's also got his changeup up three miles an hour. Now, why do I say this as something about the Royals? Well, for years, really ever since the end of that World Series run about eight years ago, uh, the Royals pitching just hasn't been very good. And you might remember the 2018 draft where they took all of these pitchers and they got them to the majors pretty fast, and they really haven't had much success. Brady Singer has been okay Jackson Coar has not succeeded. Daniel Lynch hasn't succeeded. And Chris Bubik hasn't succeeded until this season. I want to quote you uh, from last September in The Athletic. And this was a rival professional scout, right? It said, if these three pitch, if these stud pitchers, I'm quoting here, Coar, Lynch, Singer, all these guys, had they been Dodgers or Rays or Guardians, they would be very, very good. But unfortunately, they haven't been taught how to move well and they haven't been introduced to the metrics that give them an idea of how they can pitch most effectively. 
Well, that was right about the time that uh, Dayton Moore was let go from the front office. And this has uh, nothing to do negatively about him. Obviously, he led the team to a World Series win. But they changed over the entire staff this winter. Brian Sweeney was hired as pitching coach. Zach Bove is the assistant pitching coach. And all of a sudden, there's some hope there. There's a lot more talk about guys who are throwing new pitches. They're sort of catching up on pitch design. And a Royals pitching staff that has traditionally just not been that effective. They're still not great. They're still not like top of the pack or anything like that. But they're about average. And about average is a pretty big step forward for them. And when you think about what's going on with the lineup, which I actually kind of like, they've got you know Bobby Witt, Vinny Pescatino, a couple of interesting bats there. If they can just get the pitching from back of the pack to middle of the pack, which is a lot to ask even in one year, all of a sudden the Royals might have an interesting team that could maybe be on the back end of contention in the American League. I don't know if they'll actually get there, but this is a, it's kind of an interesting way to look at how this team that has not really been supporting their players in the way that maybe the fans would have liked to. They seem like they're doing that now. And to see a guy like Chris Bubik succeed, uh, it really gets to that. And if this is the beginning of us talking about him having like an all-star season or something, that doesn't happen by accident. It happens with hard work uh, and improved metrics and great coaching. And I think that's really cool. And that might be what's happening here. That will do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. 